Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Ben and this is the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. Hey family, I hope you're well wherever you are and you got that thin blue smoke rolling. This episode is part of my US road trip series where I travel through several states competing at the Houston World's Barbecue Championships and learning as much about barbecue as possible. The trip starts in Texas before going across to Louisiana and then up into Arkansas. It was a hell of a trip and I'm so excited to be able to share it with you. Before we get into it, I want to invite you to come join us at the Smoking Hot Confessions community on Facebook. It's a great place to continue the conversation. Also, make sure you get your free copy of my ebook, 27 Lessons Learned from Competition Barbecue. Jump on over to smokinghotconfessions.com slash ebooks to get your copy now. Finally, however you listen to this episode, please make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. This will really help me spread that barbecue love. Alrighty, everybody, this episode is part two of a pair of episodes where I turned the mic over to guest host Saffron from Bush Cooking while we're at the Houston Livestock Rodeo World's Barbecue Championships. This is a very special episode that stayed with me ever since we recorded these interviews. Saffron sits down with the lads from Operation Barbecue Relief, a fantastic group of gentlemen who've taken the idea of doing good with their barbecues and ramped things up to 11. I really can't tell you any more than this without giving too much away. So settle in and check it out. This is the internationally awarded Smoking Hot Confessions podcast with your host, Ben Arnott. How long has it been since your last confession? key player in the barbecue scene is Clean Heat Charcoal. Whether it's sponsoring festivals, supporting teams, or supplying the fuel for your backyard cookouts, Abel and his team work tirelessly to bring you the best barbecue experience. Their charcoal burns hot and it burns long. Clean Heat Charcoal embraces their global responsibilities as an industry leader, and all of their products are 100% natural, sustainable, and eco-friendly. The charcoal is made from an invasive species that is destroying valuable farmland in Namibia, and they offer locals employment opportunities they wouldn't otherwise have. Whether it's cooking burgers in your backyard or saving the planet, you can rest assured knowing it's made with clean heat. Clean Heat Charcoal is available all around Australia and will be hitting the US shortly. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram to learn more. Saffron here from the Houston Livestock Rodeo Show, and I'm spending a little bit of time here in Operation Barbecue Relief, and we've got the main man here, our sir, Stan Hayes. Hey, and welcome to uh, Smoking Hot Confessions. Well, thank you very much for having me on the show. So we just thought we'd start off a little bit about what is Operation Barbecue Relief? Absolutely. So Operation Barbecue Relief is a disaster relief nonprofit organization here in the United States that goes out and serves hot barbecue meals to the people that have been affected by disasters and the first responders that come to communities to help them after the disaster strikes. Yeah, so you're in Houston today because of the work that you did. So perhaps Correct. we can start with a little bit about that because that was a massive sure. event. Sure. So, um, you know, last August uh, with Hurricane Harvey hitting uh, the coast of Texas, uh, we came um, at the request of the mayor of Houston to come and help the community, help the first responders, help, you know, feed his guys and the communities. Um, we were here cooking for 11 days and did just over 370,000 meals from a parking lot downtown. Um, and, uh, um, you know, we had a lot of, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of firsts in that, in that deployment for us. I mean, things like doing 50,000 meals in a day. 
to also, um, at the same time while we were doing this, um, we, we did airlifts into eastern Texas where we were putting hot meals and coolers and such onto Black Hawk helicopters, Chinook helicopters that were then airlifting those meals over into areas of East Texas that were cut off, uh, you know, someplace that might be just an over an hour drive were taking six hours. Oh, wow. Because they had to take back roads and just go all the way around all the flooding. So it was, you know, a 30-minute helicopter ride, and they were able to get, you know, thousands of meals in at one time. So that's that's just amazing. Like, you hear these numbers. Like, mm-hmm. h- how do your volunteers, like, make this happen? So, you know, we, one, we have some of the greatest sponsors out there that help us make this happen, right? I mean, you can't do it just by yourself. I mean, the volunteers are, the you know, the lifeblood of the organization. Um, but the sponsors, you know, help make sure we have what needs to be cooked. And, what, and, and really it comes down to, you know, volunteers and the smokers, right? And, and we've got it down to pretty good science on the number of smokers we need, you know, to serve X number of meals. So for every, you know, for every three or 4,000 meals, you know, we can, we can work the numbers to say, okay, we need eight of those pits to be able to do that today. Or we need 10 of these pits going to do that today. And so we're able to scale up from that based upon that, you know, knowing what the number is for the day on having those, the smokers going. And, it, and it's, we've taken something that's, you know, a, you know, a science in backyard or science in competition and then taking it a step further into the, the disaster side of being able to scale how many meals we can pull off of a pit at a time. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and barbecue is one of those real homely, you know, foods that make you sort of feel safe and happy. Absolutely. I mean, you, you think about it, uh, it, it's quintessential comfort food. I mean, you, you, the, the food is, is, you know, it's all about the food, but it's not. It's also about what barbecue stands for. And, and you know, and I, 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 I've not found it that it's changed anywhere, whether it's, you know, the United States, Canada, Australia, Africa, you know, Europe. It is about friends. It's about good times, and it's about people coming together for, for you know, sometimes for a good cause. Sometimes it's people coming together for a party. Um, and, you know, in, in our, what we're doing, we're trying to bring that friendship and, and compassion during a disaster to an area of the country to provide that comfort meal. So when they're sitting down eating that, they're not thinking about, what happened to their house or they're not thinking about what happened you know to their neighborhood they're remembering the last neighborhood get together where they were doing barbecue where they were out grilling and everybody came together to help each other and that's what it's all about um if they can forget about the bad what the bad that's happening or happened to them or currently happening to them and they can start thinking about the positive side of things what could be again it gives them a sense of normalcy, even if it's just for five to ten minutes. Yeah. So, so people who are new to Operation Barbecue Relief, perhaps we can talk about True. like how this completely started, because everything you talked about just naturally happened that sure. first time around. So, it was uh, May 23rd of 2011, um, the Monday morning after the Joplin, Missouri tornado, um, one of the worst and deadliest tornadoes in U.S. history. Um, you know. Basically, uh, I, you know, I was trying to figure out a way of what I could do. And my wife really said, you know, you should get the barbecue guys together and go. 
you know, and that's really what she said. And, and so I started calling the guys that I had competed with or, you know, helped me get into competition. And so what do you think? Oh, yeah. Thinking the same thing. And you think about it. Competition barbecue guys, what do they do? They go set up in a parking lot with minimal needs and turn out barbecue. And besides the two hours of turn-ins, everybody is friends. You're, you're, the camaraderie is amazing. It's a big family, the barbecue family, really. And so we went to those, that barbecue family and said, this is what we're doing. You want to come join us? And it just steamrolled. I mean, you know, by the 24th, we were serving meals. You know, by, you know, by the 25th, we had major companies bringing in, hey, can, can you use this product? Can we help you? Can we? And without even asking for it is, hey, we heard about you guys or we saw you guys. What are you doing? Can we help? And, you know, what we thought was going to be four or five days ended up being 11 days. What we thought would be four or 5,000 meals during that time ended up being 120,000 meals from a parking lot. And that's when we, we realized, you know, during that 11 days that there's a gap. And, it, and the gap exists anywhere in the world that we've seen. And that gap is the time the disaster happens till the time the larger, more sustaining organizations, whether it's governmental, whether it's other larger nonprofits, or whether it's the local churches, civic groups, and everything can get their feet underneath them to really start helping the community. You know, some places it's 72 hours, sometimes it's seven days before they can really get there and impact the community with a hot meal. Doesn't yep. mean they're not trying to give them peanut butter and jelly or do what they can, but we're, we're providing that hot barbecue meal and filling that gap at that time. And so since that day, it's just kept growing and growing. So how many states in America now are you in? So we, we have, we've done disasters in 24 different states um, from 44 different disasters over the last almost seven years now. Yeah, so that, that's uh, the hurricanes, the tornadoes, and fire as well. well wildfires, yeah. Uh, you know, the flooding has been, has been a big thing where we've just had rain events over the last few years that they'll stall out and jump, you know, two years ago or a year and a half ago in... Uh, um, Hammond, Louisiana. I mean, it just sat there and rained for days. And I mean, one community had over 29 inches of rain in less than 24 hours. I mean, that's an amazing amount of rain for anywhere in the country, let alone in a low-lying state like, you know, Louisiana is. Yeah. So looking forward, have you got more growth plans now, perhaps looking overseas and sure. some of the, the complications we, with that? So, you know, the, the, the biggest challenges that we have is that we we still all have part-time jobs, you know, the full-time jobs, and this is like our part-time job. Yep. Um, so, you know, the first, the first order of business is we need to get some full-time people going you know, uh, to run the organization because as fast as it's grown, as much as we're doing and as much as we want to continue to grow and to take that momentum, we, we've got to do that. But as far as looking into the future and looking at opportunities, you know, our the growth that we see is going internationally and probably working, and, you know, looking at doing work um, both in Canada and Australia um, would be, uh, you know, are, are probably our two closest because they they model the United States philanthropy and the way they respond more so than any other place um, in the country, or I mean the world. Um, from there, we'll, we'll, we'll look at it. You know, Great Britain has a great culture in that, and, you know, even parts of Europe are getting to that point. But, you know, in some parts of the, the, the world, the, what we do in the philanthropy and the giving back and the donation side of things 
don't don't always you know play together. Yeah. So one of the things I really like about Operation Barbecue Relief is how much of a donation, a financial donation, actually makes it to the, the sure. people on the ground. Perhaps you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so, you know, the, the way we do it and is, I won't say it's unique to us, but, I mean, when somebody makes a donation online to the organization, that donation, unless it is, you know, directed somewhere to a corpus fund or something like that that they can do, it, 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 the default is for disaster relief. So we take that money and we put it to disaster relief. Um, when we do a fundraiser, we don't take any money out of that to do a fundraiser. Fundraising money is always brought on from whether it's selling th- swag from our swag shop on our website, um, you know, things that we've done at different events that we raise money for to help do more events. I mean, what we try to do is we don't want to take money that's to feed people to go out and do the Houston Livestock, yep. you know, barbecue. We want to take that out of our fundraising account because this is awareness. This is about growing the organization and turning it, you know, bringing in more volunteers, more donors, and and getting more people to learn about the organization. So perhaps uh, some of the people interested in in listening today would be interested. Uh, Sure. What's the web page and, and sure. how's the best way for them to help? So we, we've simplified things. It, it's, it's as easy as now to go to our website is obr.org. Um, just obr.org is the website. And uh, on there, you know, up at the top, there's, you know, volunteer. That's the first place you can go if you, you, are, you can volunteer to, to help. Um, you know, the big thing is, is that there's so many disasters that happen that we just can't respond to because they're so small. I mean, to roll the equipment and do things for a couple hundred meals doesn't make sense, you know, financially, and it's not a good steward of that money. But if we have a, you know, a barbecue team or we have a restaurant or a caterer in that neighbor, in that area that's willing to do that, I, you know, I'd rather give the money to them to go help that community because just because it's a small community doesn't mean they have, don't have just as great a need. But to do that, we have to know where people are. And the only way we can know where they are and, you know, that they're interested is to volunteer and register on our website. So that's the first place. So we, the second thing is, is there's just a donate button there. You, you know, our big thing is don't wait till there's a disaster to donate, though. If you want to donate, donate by going and setting, you know, a monthly donation and say, yes, I want to, I want to donate monthly. And, you know, I'm just going to, you know, instead of getting $100 when the disaster happens, you know, to help, we're going to give $10 a month, whatever it is, you know, or divide it out and, you know, to spread it out. It helps them because they can, you know, they, they know what's happening with their money, you know, over time and they don't have to then come out of pocket right at the time of a disaster. And then we can also look at what's coming in. Because it gets scary sometimes during a disaster when we're going, we're laying out thou- tens of thousands of dollars on food, equipment, on on fuel, and everything that we're doing when we're going out on one of these to rely that those donations are going to come in to continue that. Because the bank account is only so big. Yep. <laughs> um, and and so, um, you know, for that, those are the two big things. And then, you know, if if somebody's listening to the show and they're, they're a company and they're like, they love what we do, or, you know, there's you know, corporate sponsorship opportunities and opportunities for companies to get involved. I mean, one of the biggest, you know, biggest supporters that we have is a, a large pork producer in the United States called Seaboard Foods. And Seaboard, not only do they donate the product, they don't, they've they donated money. And we've got some things in the works that will probably come out here uh, probably in the next 45 days with them. Um, but the big thing is, is that they've brought out, you know, at different 
events and different days of giving to help and give back to communities, they've allowed their employees time off paid to come and volunteer. Oh, that's that's excellent. And, and so there's there's opportunities for a company to to give back in many more ways than just money and and product. So that's amazing. So. Um, how about we close this out? So sure. we've talked a lot about the things. Um, just with, I'm sure that it's a lot of work and everything. Perhaps a, a recent call out where you've been on the ground. You can sure. share a story. You know that moment where you're like, this is all worth it. Yeah, so um, I, I will actually give, it's an old one but a new one. Um, two years ago on Memorial Day was historic flooding just down the road here in Wimberley, Texas, central Texas, just south of Austin. And... Uh, um, the Blanco River, which is normally a pretty tame river, was miles outside of its bank because of the, this historic flooding and, and rains uh, there. Um, we received a, a very nice note and uh, um, a donation from a family, or I should say families, who lost members of their family um, in that flooding and to the point that they've not found a few of them. And uh, to have somebody two years almost down the road come to you and say what you did for our community what those meals meant for us and our community is beyond what we can ever repay you you know here's a donation on the behalf of our family members that were lost to me that is everything of why we do what we do you know um it doesn't you know the the you don't always see those people that you're impacting. In fact, a lot of times you don't see that meal get delivered to that house. You don't see the tears, the, the anguish on their faces. But when you get something in writing like that, that just sort of paints that picture of the anguish that that family's gone through and losing loved ones, but recognizing the work that our volunteers did to help the communities, you know, try to get back to normal. It, 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 it's posted on our Facebook page, which is just, you know, Facebook forward slash Operation Barbecue Relief. And you can see the letter and read it. Um, I, I, I guarantee you, you know, there's not too many people that are going to read that and then not Google it to find out who that family was. Thank you so much, Stan. It's been wonderful chatting with you today. Thank you very much for letting me, you know, spend some time with you guys today. Thank you. And today I'm here with William. Hi, how you doing? Good. So William's an on-the-ground volunteer for OBR, and I just was interested in hearing a little bit about your story. Well, yeah, I started off uh, with OBR. Well, I actually met OBR when we uh, competed at the Memphis and May competition, and um, I met Stan Hayes and uh, started learning about the organization and what they did, and it kind of interested me. It just so happened that uh, when Hurricane Harvey hit here in Houston, I actually live here in Houston, and when uh, Hurricane Harvey hit, um, I found out that they were coming down. And my house had got some water in it, and my parents' two houses got flooded. And, um, you know, there was nothing really I could do. So when I found out Stan and them were here, I went out and uh, did my first deployment and actually helped them out. So your house was flooded, and you were actually on the ground volunteering. That's yes. pretty amazing. Yeah, it was... Uh, Ooh, excuse me, because it brings up a lot of emotion. Uh, it uh, it's hard when you see uh people going through the things that they went through, and uh, to be involved in that, 
you know, to be able to give back and uh, feed people. Oh, you got to, <laughs> it's hard. But uh, I'd rather have been out there helping the people, doing what I was doing with LBR, uh, because I could rebuild later. You know, people needed us then now. So it was our mission to be out there and to feed as many uh, people, first responders, uh, volunteers. I mean, just to see uh, police officers and firefighters come up to us and tell us uh, they hadn't had a hot meal in uh, days. It was just so touching. And um, for me, it was a life-changing experience. I'd do it over and over again if I could, you know, it's just, of course I rebuild already, you know, I got my house uh, back up and going and things like that. But when I found out they were coming here to the rodeo, I had to be a part of it. So yeah, Woo. sorry about that. That's okay. I mean, that's an amazing story and it, it's worth sharing and yeah. it's worth people hearing and knowing, you know, the impact that this type of volunteering can do. and. A lot of people just see this on the news and to actually be on the ground, um, it's, yeah. it's good for them to understand. We, um, I actually got to go out to some of the deployments uh, when we were delivering the meals to the people and just to see them out there, you know, and, and thanking us for what we were doing because, I mean, I lost little, but other people in the city lost so much. I mean, you could see as we drew th drove through the neighborhoods, the devastation that the storm had caused and to see everybody's house outside on the curb. I mean, it's just so, so touching, you know, and, and to see kids uh, telling us thank you just for a hot meal. I mean, that's just so, so hard, but it gives people hope, you know, that they'll be able to rebuild and, um, you know, an organization like this can come in during a natural disaster and do so much for people that don't have nothing at all. That's amazing. Can you tell me a little bit about what your average day on deployment might look like, just so people can understand how much work's actually going into each of those meals? Yeah, well, um, the average day is getting up early, <laughs> at five o'clock in the morning, uh, and getting onto site, getting everything prepared. You know, we got a lot of meat that we have to prepare, season, cut up, and uh, get the pits lit up. Uh, a majority of it, uh, my what I usually do on a deployment is uh, I actually drive around and pick up supplies, propane, any kind of stuff that we need from uh, Sam's Club or Walmart, you know, wherever grants that we get in that we can actually go into the store and they give us the, the product that we need. I pick that up and drive around and, and um, gather everything that's needed for, for the operation. Uh, when I get back, it's uh, helping uh, make plates, you know, putting everything into cambros and loading it in vehicles. By the end of the day, we're looking at, you know, nine, 10 o'clock at night, and we're done, you know, getting ready for, uh, to put the meat on for the next round. And then it's uh, off to bed and then back up at five o'clock in the morning to do it all over again. Yeah, so that, that's pretty intense. Yeah, it, it takes a lot out of you. I mean, it, it's real, it's work. And, um, but you know, it's the pure adrenaline of, you know, just helping somebody and seeing, I think when we see people 
and then they you can see it in their face that they're thankful and i think that's what keeps us going is just that pure pure adrenaline of doing what's right you know it's it's the right thing to do and that's what keeps me going that's that's it's wonderful that you shared your story with us today and it's been really good to see a different perspective and all the different people who have different roles in OBR talking to us today. Yeah, a lot of, uh, you know, the, the volunteers for OBR, they all have their different experiences and they've all dealt with things that, you know, different kind of disasters that they might have gone through and uh, just like me, you know, just it was a bad storm and, um, you know, it affected thousands and there's still people rebuilding here in the city I mean it's almost you know it's almost gonna be a year later and and there's still parts of, of the city that are still there's trash still out there in piles you know um, it's gonna take a long time to to rebuild but it's you know it, it'll get back together Houston's a strong city and um, you know everybody will it, life will go on <laughs> Thank you so much, and I wish you luck with all the the events that are happening at the Livestock Show for OBR. I know you're doing some stuff for the police tonight. Yes, yes, yeah. We have the, the city council, I believe, are coming in, and we have some first responders that will be coming in later on this evening. That's excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you, Saffron. <laughs> This is Sterling Smith from Loot and Moody Barbecue, and you're listening to Smoking Hot Confessions. Make no mistake, beef is king. Ask any competitor on the circuit and the trophy they want most of all is the brisket. And you won't find better brisket than Black Angus Reserve. Black Angus Reserve is the leading brisket brand in Australia and it's easy to see why. It's verified Black Angus which has been grain fed for a minimum of 150 days with a deliciously high marbling content. These briskets are so good that Black Angus Reserve are willing to put their money where their mouth is. They sponsor multiple grand champion winning team, Manning Valley Natural Smokers, who've won many trophies using their briskets. Not just that, but Manning Valley took these briskets to the world's barbecue championships in Houston and took out second place in the world. To get yours, hit up their Black Angus Reserve page on Facebook now. got with me Mark Lambert from Operation Barbecue Relief. Hello. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I, I believe you're pretty good at competition barbecue. Perhaps we could start there. Yeah, we've uh, been at competition barbecue for about 22 years. Uh, we started competition barbecue kind of as just as a, didn't really mean to get into it. I uh, worked for a company that had a large hospitality booth at Memphis MA. And uh, after a couple of years uh, being involved in just the hospitality, not even cooking, um, the budget was pulled and everyone kind of already you know, just had it in their veins and was you know hooked on it so a bunch of us that were hooked on it decided we were going to keep going and pulled our money and kept cooking and eventually started winning so yeah. it took it took a few years to get away from just being the hospitality and party team uh to taking it somewhat serious and we just took it somewhat serious and made it up to ninth place and when we actually started taking it really seriously we started winning and won uh um, overall, Memphis and May honors twice, and uh, first place with shoulder four times, uh, twice with second, and third one time. So we've and been fortunate. That's, and that's just Memphis and May? Like, yeah, yeah. American Royals been an interesting event for you guys, too? Yeah, I started cooking KCBS in 2005, I guess. 
uh, and exploring KCBS because you really saw the rise of it. You saw uh, more popularity and more increase in KCBS. So started investigating that and learning how to cook a brisket. Um, first time we ever went to the Royal. So yeah, we know how to cook ribs, we know how to cook pork uh, and chicken. Yeah, no big deal. We, learned, we know how to do that too. We didn't pay much attention. But the first year we competed at the Royal, if we would have known how to cook brisket, we would have won the whole thing. We made seventh overall, and we were like 88th in brisket. Oh wow! And if we had, we figured if we the points, if we'd have made the top ten, we would have won the royal. The first time we ever cooked it. <laughs> oh wow, that's that's cool. So so competition barbecue background, the big barbecue family, and that led you into Operation Barbecue Relief. Yeah, um, you know, barbecue barbecue family is just a huge network of friends, and everybody's really, you know, it's kind of weird. You know, I see that many people really, really passionate about model airplanes. I mean, they do it. <laughs> My mic just kind of dripped on me there. I'm going to have to stand up a little taller. So, I don't know. You, you see people passionate about their hobbies being barbecue. It just seems that people take it a step further and, and really uh, wrap their arms around barbecue and the people. And, you know, it, you make a whole other whole other family out of it. And, you know... Whenever we started seeing Operation Barbecue Relief after the the tornadoes in Joplin, uh, we all just start. We start. Everyone starts talking about it. Kind of like when someone uses a new rub or a new sauce. You, there's talk about who, what are they doing, how are they doing, how are they using that, and so everyone starts really talking about what's happened at Operation Barbecue Relief, and it it's just kind of one of those things that spreads like a virus that everyone they want to know more and more about it. And once you learn more about it and you go and be a part of it, it's kind of like like I said we're we, were in, we got hooked on competition barbecue, not really expecting it, but you investigate it far enough and you actually go and experience it and you're hooked. It's one of those things when you, when you decide in life what your gifts are and how to, how to use those gifts and how to, how, to, how to give those and where to give them and where your time is best spent you know, serving others, um, you, know, you kind of figure out what gifts you have and what best way to, to use them. And, I just felt like Operation Barbecue Relief was that perfect fit. It was a, the way for me to give the gifts that I have. So you're a state lead now. So what's a state lead act do? State leads are involved with all of your state um, disaster organizations. What they call VOAD is one of the main ones. And some they're, they're bigger in some states than others, but VOAD is a volunteer's active uh, in disaster. I think that's right, something like that. But it's it's a volunteer organization for disaster relief uh, organiz- uh, companies to come together and help one another, learn from one another. Um, you know, they have a conference. Usually a lot of them will have meetings. Some do nothing like Mississippi. They do nothing. They have a s- website, and they act like they do things, but they do nothing. So <laughs> uh, in some states, I mean, like uh, Arkansas, they have regular meetings. Um, you know, some are, they're all different. They're all di- groups of different companies and some are um, some have state um, affiliations and some are just completely independent um, in Mississippi they're all you know there's some FEMA there's a FEMA organization um, some electric some power companies you know people like that and mitigation companies but it really doesn't seem like a really be a tight-knit group but um, the whole thing is uh, you're charged to help uh, foster vol- people to volunteer and donate in your state so perhaps you can tell us a little bit about what it's like when you actually respond, like on the ground, you're there, chaos ensues. How does it come together? Uh, it's it's kind of 
it's like almost like going into battle if it feels like whenever you're deploying because you're you're we're all look everyone depending on the state you're in the state lead is charged first and foremost if they can find a place to deploy uh, a place to set up home base then you know they generally have more connections in their home state so that's the first thing is to start looking for places and we we work with like the the Baptist associations to try to find a church a lot of the church has a lot of resources not just buildings and equipment but uh, the congregation uh, they're charged to give to the community and to mission to the community so it's a good opportunity for them to go out and mission at the same time while helping feed people so uh, working with the church is, is one of the first things we look for or a large um, convention centers things like that uh, that are adjacent to the affected area um, you know a lot of times those big community centers you know house people that are displaced from their homes or whatever so um, trying to find where we're going to go first and foremost is the craziest thing ever because people from all over the country that are involved with OBR are all of a sudden calling on every connection they have in that area to try to find the best place to go and be the most effective and then once we halfway find a place and I mean not even nail it down and tell people we're coming or know exactly where we're going people are on the road we don't even know where we're going Yep. And so you get close, and by the time we're hoping, by the time we get close, we get an idea of exactly where we're going. And then once you actually get there, you know, it's just, it's like you've ever walked and kicked over an anthill, just there, there you go everywhere. And so when we show up, it's kind of like that. Usually we've got some lights and generators in the ground, you know, reefer trucks of, of food and, and number 10 cans and water. And usually there's people already there expecting us. And so it's just like all hands on deck, everything pulled out of the trailers, usually throwing stuff on the cookers as fast as you can and start notifying, making sure that all of the, the people in the area are notifying everyone they're there so we can make sure and start getting meal counts for the next day. It's just ramp up just as quick as you can to figure out at what level we're going to have to produce. And usually it starts out, you know, may start out 2,000 meals. The next day it might go to 12,000 meals. The next day it might go to 28,000 meals. And the next day it may go to 40,000 meals, uh, and it may sustain that for, you know, if it's a small deployment, it'll probably usually never get over 11, 10, 11,000 meals. A big one, it may get up to 50,000 and stay there for a couple days and trail off. Um, and we'll stay there as long as the, there's a viable need. I mean, when people start moving back into their homes and, and uh, you would think that there's not a need anymore, you know, it's, it sometimes gets worse because we not only feed the you know the victims of the natural disaster people displaced but the the responders that are there helping them get back on their feet mitigate damage trash out so the need stays on for a while there our goal it's, it seems like from what i've been a part of is to get in there quick make sure that we provide some level of comfort during the hardest sometimes you would think the hardest part of it and then you know people like salvation army sustain it for a little bit longer while after we leave once the numbers kind of fall off you know when the people are really uh i don't want to call refugees if you will but a lot of times that's what it amounts to people have to flee the affected areas where their homes are blown over completely gone or flooded then you know when people are in huge numbers of people in one area you know they expect that's what we're there we're there to feed a bunch of people as fast as we can and give them a not just a sandwich but a good hot meal you know so Let's talk a little bit more about that hot meal. What does it typically look like? You know, we're Operation Barbecue, really. And it's generally fo it's barbecue-focused. We tried as best we can uh, 
to have some variance in the proteins and the sides that we do. And, you know, if, if you're at a, imagine if you were at a, a community center and, and you're out of your home for five days and you had a pulled pork sandwich for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you'd start getting tired of pulled pork. So we've learned to try to uh, maybe do a teriyaki chicken and some, like a, a mock vegetable fried rice. And we've tried to do like um, a hamburger steak with gravy and mashed potatoes. Um, some of the anything that we can do on a big outdoor rotisserie smoker, we've we've been trying new things and new techniques and new proteins to try to make sure that we provide a little variance uh, other than our traditional things like pulled pork, uh, roasted pork loin. Uh, we do uh, beef shoulder clod, beef chuck, um, brisket. You know, hamburgers. I mean, most of the stuff we do, we try to. Uh, do things that we can load in a pit, let them cook for some amount of time, and feed a huge number of people um, with what we've got. Of course, we, then we have a whole one camp that does nothing but proteins and run them on a rotisserie, uh, big, huge barbecue pits where we're cooking protein for 30,000 people. Uh, but another whole camp is dedicated to side items that turns nothing but, you know, things like green beans and peas and corn and mashed potatoes and, like, uh, chili mac and stuff like that. So... We try to provide a hot protein and a really good hot side along with it, some bread and a drink. Uh, and it seems like when we first show up, we'll provide a certain number of individual meals and we'll pack them in little clamshells and we'll take them out in the field and pass them out. And that's where you see the most reward. It's uh, where you really get a feeling of for you're doing something good and, and how much it's appreciated. Uh, and then as it builds, it gets to the point that we have to provide bulk boxes of meals to shelters. Uh, and we'll you know, provide a huge box of meals with 400 pr- servings of protein and 800 servings of sides, and we'll have we'll deliver that to a place that's you know that has to serve 4,000 meals for lunch. So it varies when we get to actually hand one single meal to one person in need. That's where the that's where you really feel it and it hits home. So, do you have one personal on the ground story that really uh, sticks with you and keeps you motivated? Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we were at Sam's Club in, in Denham Springs, Louisiana. And so a lot of these people at Sam's Club in the surrounding area, it, they had eight feet of water at the road. Where you exit onto the Sam's Club, there was eight foot of water at the intersection. So when you drove down this road, anyone in that, complete, that area had nothing, zero. There was, they had no belongings except where they packed in their car and got out of there with. So... When, they were, when the waters receded and they were coming back, well, at Sam's Club, you had people like FEMA and Tide Loads of Hope and um, people that were other relief companies there providing, you know, washing people's clothes or passing out water or ice or uh, filling out FEMA forms, things like that. Well, we had this huge line of people coming through, and so many of those people that came through, the only thing that they had in this world was what was in their car. And when they drive up and they're crying, you know, and they're just, you know, overwhelmed by what everyone in the parking lot's already done for them. And they're crying and, you know, you hand them something and they hug you. And, and so we have, you know, a dozen people walk through, I mean, drove through and we're handing them meals and they just get out of the car and they crying and they give you a hug. And so that's where the impact really is, is that people that have this need and they're so overwhelmed by people taking time out of their lives to go and help them. And that's, 
that's to me there were I mean I wouldn't there's there's one probably in particular but I was there were 40 or 50 different people that came through we were putting meals in their windows and they were driving through and it was just it was overwhelming it really really was thank you so much for sharing your stories and some more information with Operation Barbecue Relief today and uh, all the best in the future thank you appreciate it Got a project you'd like to work on with the SHC team? Shoot Ben an email on ben at smokinghotconfessions.com and let's have a conversation. Buying an outdoor cooker can be confusing. Something for low and slow, something for roasting, a pizza oven. What about baking? The jagged wood-fired smoker does all of these things. The question is, how? Firstly, the entire smoker is fully insulated. The firebox is insulated with kiln-grade bricks and there are more on the cooking chamber floor, doubling as a pizza stone. The cooking chamber is then insulated with a 6cm or 2.5 inch insulation blanket and the whole thing is made from double-walled 6mm steel. This means that the jagged can get up to 600 degrees Fahrenheit in under 30 minutes, sit at low and slow temperatures using very little fuel and will even sit well under 200 degrees Fahrenheit for cold smoking. Founded in 2014, Jagged is proudly Australian-owned and manufactured, based in Western Australia and ships all across the country. Head on over to jaggedwoodfired.com.au, spelled J-A-G-R-D, to learn more. And I've got Jerry here from Operation Barbecue Relief. How Hello. Are How are you? I'm great. So great. we've spoken to a few people today uh, from uh, with a background from barbecue and competition barbecue to join Operation Barbecue Relief. I believe your story is a little bit different. It is. It is. I came in because me, my family, we lost our home in April, on April 27th of 2011 or 2011, and uh, we had such an outpouring of wonderful people bringing food to us, restaurants. People bringing us toiletries, toothpaste. Oh, my God, that was the best. Um, there was so many things that people brought us over the following six, eight, ten days as we recovered, uh, you know, picking things out of the rubble from our home. And, and it, it always had a question in the back of my mind as to where did this come from? How did this outpouring come to us every day that it just was there? We never had to worry about a meal. We never had to worry about, and we were touched and touched deeply. So when more Oklahoma happened, the, uh, the tornado there, a friend of mine, Patrick Banks, was involved with Operation Barbecue Relief. I had called him and asked if, if they were going to go out to more Oklahoma because I knew that's what the organization uh, was, was doing. And they were very young at the time, very small, and, and kind of getting their, their legs under them at the time. Mm -hmm. So I uh, left work, drove home. Packed a bag, told my wife, I'll see you in a week or two, whenever, and I left. And it was just that quick. We drove all night to get to Moore, Oklahoma, and I spent the next 10 days there with uh, Operation Barbecue Relief, preparing meals for those tornado victims and hearing their stories and talking to those people and sharing my story with their story, and I could really get on that level. And it was a, a literally a religious experience for me. It, it, it changed me. I, I, I've been on seven different deployments, including that one, and including uh, Houston last year, South Florida last year, Hammond, Louisiana the year before that, Fayetteville, North Carolina, Columbia, South Carolina. Um, and uh, it's grown to be uh, a, a passion of mine. The 
the Operation Barbecue Relief is very welcoming. You don't have to be a barbecue professional, own a restaurant, have a barbecue team. They'll welcome you in if you're willing to work hard and, and donate your time and do it with a giving heart. And it was, uh, that's where I'm at. So do you have a role in Operation Barbecue Relief? Uh, I do. I'm the Alabama state lead for o Operation Barbecue Relief. And what that means is I'm in contact with FEMA. I'm in contact with the Red Cross. I'm in contact with Alabama VOAD. And that's Voluntary Organizations Active in Deployment. That's the acronym for it, is VOAD. And uh, those are names and numbers and email addresses and people you contact and reach out to in the event of a hurricane coming up through uh, the Gulf or a, an event of a, another outbreak of tornadoes. So it gives me the ability to call these individuals, these people who are more deeply involved at, at different state levels and government levels, and get involved from there and communicate to Operation Barbecue Relief what is available as far as what our need is. So if we need to prepare or the state needs a thousand meals a day or 10,000 meals a day or 50,000 meals a day, I can communicate that back and assemble the teams to uh, go to a particular location and, and service that need. Yeah, and I think that's important for people too because they see Operation Barbecue Relief on the ground and they forget that there's a lot of communications and links into the government and FEMA and rules and different pieces that you're involved in. You're exactly right, and that's what interested me so much. It wasn't just the food that got to the house. I mean, that was really a, a huge blessing, but it's how did this happen? How? You can't just put together these meals and get them in the... I, I didn't live on the main road where it was just, you know, here. You had, to, you had to work to get to my house, and you had to really want to. You had to, it wasn't that easy. So, it, and it took the organizational skills of the Red Cross at the time and the local churches at the time and other local organizations and uh, restaurants and so forth to make that happen, but it's how. And then when I got involved with Operation Barbecue Relief, I really started seeing the inner workings and how the sausage is made, so to speak, the behind the scenes as to what really goes into it. And events like we're at today here at the uh, in Houston uh, are important. It gets our name out there. It, it, it lends to our credibility and our uh, our mission. And our, and our mission remains the same, and it always has and always will. And that's serving that one family, that one need out there. That's That's hasn't had a meal in a day or two or five or ten that's lost everything and they're in total despair and they know they don't know what to do next they don't know where to turn we're there for them and that's that's a great great feeling it's amazing so with the deployments on the ground when you're actually on the ground how does that all come together wow what a question <laughs> remembering it's a short interview well yes <laughs> in short we find after, after a storm happens, the following day or that afternoon or whatever, we start communicating with local uh, government municipalities, the Red Cross, FEMA, etc., and finding out what the need is, how much damage there is, how many people are in uh, shelters, how much um, uh, support's going to be there as far as other volunteers going down to, to uh, be first responders, be it the power line companies or or the Red Cross or insurance companies, whoever goes in to, to uh, take care of th those in need. And, and we find a, a facility, often a church or a parking lot. It's been a, a, at a sporting goods parking lot before or a Walmart parking lot. 
just big enough to handle our our setup and we take a pretty big footprint and we take in as many as we need to cook the, the amount of meals and, and so forth that the that they're calling for and we get in there and we set up and we have great vendors uh, from uh, like barbecue charcoal blue rhino sunbelt rentals yeti coolers old hickory butterball all these vendors that supply us with with uh, donated food or uh, substantially discounted pricing where we can buy it with cash donations and you know we we start opening cans of uh, vegetables and we start cooking from barbecue meat uh, pork shoulders and so forth to pork loins Uh, like I said butterball turkeys the turkey's been fabulous a lot of chicken Tyson foods and and different uh, other companies and I, I hate that I'm forgetting one or two or ten but too many to remember, but without those, we couldn't make it work. So, so the actual people on the ground, are they normally the same people moving from event to event, or do locally, do you get a lot of just local people come in to help you? Great question. It's actually both. There's a core of people in Operation Barbecue Relief, from Stan and Will, the founders of it, and some of the, the senior management who actually do some of the organization and, and that uh, with our vendors and our, and our suppliers. And, and wherever we go, we put out the word for uh, people to come and volunteer. Uh, different church groups will offer help. Hey, what can we do? How many people do you need? When do you need them? And so we tell them, and they're there. And that's really the miracle of it is coming together as a as a community, as a country, and, and taking care of that need. It's I always say it. It's the America that I know. It's the America that we know. It takes all politics out. It takes all everything out. It's let's take care of each other, feed each other, clothe each other, and uh, serve them as, as they need to be, as, as God leads us to do. Thank you. So I've been closing out each discussion with a, a fairly recent personal story um, while you're deployed on what keeps you motivated um, and coming back and helping more. This is hard because you've got such a big personal story to start with. Everything goes back to that. Yeah. You know, we might get off of our core mission on a, uh, a certain day or, or something. If we're servicing somebody or, have, or having a, a, an event to service people like we're doing this evening with the policemen and the firemen and the local uh, government officials that we're doing here tonight, that's not our core mission. It's important because those, those contacts and those communications that help us drive the funding that it takes to, to keep us uh, uh, viable are, are very important. It, without, without that, we couldn't exist. But it's the, it's the serving that one family, serving that one need, or serving that one community that, that really drives us. And the stories you hear from people are, are what drives our passion. Their stories do. Thank you so much for talking to us today. Um, and all the best with Operation Barbecue Relief moving forward. Thank you. Thank you, Saffron. And we've got Duke joining us now. How are you, Duke? I'm, do- I'm doing real good. Appreciate it. So, Duke, I hear that you are the man on the ground when it comes to side dishes. Is this well, correct? Well, I appreciate that. I, I feel like I do a good job of what I do. I'm uh, very... Uh, it's one of my strengths that I do have. My occupation is in construction, doing shutdown work, which puts us in a situation that we have to do a lot of work in a short period of time. So 
bar all the consequences or what up with weather conditions, whatever we get. So that's kind of how my strengths come in. So, so what would a, a normal side dish preparation look like on the ground, mm. like when you get there? Well, we do all, several sides. We've done, especially when we was here in Houston, we did several different things, the green beans, the corn, the potatoes. Uh, we do the uh, red beans and rice, and then we had uh, some different uh, things, collards. We did had had a lot of different variations here, carrots, just the different things that was available for us. Most of the time were availability is much like beans and beans or corn so but here we had a lot more variety of coming in from our food suppliers and volunteers that was donating all that to us so do you ever find yourself in the position where you've just got some ingredients and you're looking at it like how are we gonna get this over the line today uh sure we i mean when some of the stuff comes in and that's some of the stuff i try to look at it's kind of like, hey, how you know, we not we might not be able to produce it that day. We look at it for the next day because you know, depending on how much stress or how much time frame we're under, we try to prepare ourselves for the next day, making sure we have the right ingredients for all this. So let's talk about the, your team that you have on the ground. Is that a normally a core group you have, or do you have uh, locals that come in and help as well? Well, there's three of us that travel together. Uh, basically, Jerry that you just interviewed, he, he travels with me. And another guy, Jeremy, he's a maintenance guy that works for me. And he uh, that's the three that loads up from our hometown and comes and been on most of all the deployments with us since I've started. And I started in 2010. So, Can you tell me what a standard sort of day looks like? Uh, a standard sort of day looks like trying to figure out what the meal count is from ever who's in charge on the site and then it's you know for me i'd for the most of the time on the average day i'm up at five or six o'clock uh preparing myself for that day and it's basically checking the inventory making sure we got enough supplies for the day uh, making sure that letting the volunteer coordinator know how many volunteers we need based on our meal count, and our meal count can be anywhere from 5,000 to 50,000 a day, depending on, you know, here in Houston, we was able to do 47,000, which was a record for us out of my kitchen alone, so anyway. So that's that's pretty amazing, like, to be able to bring everyone together like that. Oh, yeah, it's, uh, the organization has meant a lot to me as far as bringing everybody together and being, uh, 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 kind of more like, organized chaos you know and everybody is here for the same it's kind of like we forget our differences and we're here to to make a difference in people's life and we care about who gets fed you know so do you get to spend much time actually interacting with the people who are getting your food no ma'am not normally we don't we have in some of our deployments when we work a line but like on this level here when we was in houston we didn't because our count was so high you know, our, our, our meal count was records, you know. So I heard that uh, Houston was the first time you used uh, airlift to get food in. That's correct. That's pretty exciting for us. Actually, it was, uh, I had to go home on the day we did the airlift, but I prepared all the food 
had to go home for a funeral. And when I got home, I was watching the news and all that was on the news in the airlift. So that was pretty exciting to know I was a part of that and still had stuff that I still had to deal with at home. So I think it's a great opportunity to be able to, uh, with the people that supported us to make the airlifts, number one. So. Yeah, that was amazing to watch. I, I watched all the... I almost became addicted to the OBR Facebook page while that was going on because I was just continually amazed with, with what was happening um, and the social media and getting people involved and getting the donations so we could keep it happening. So if there's people listening today that are thinking about getting involved on the ground, what would you suggest to them? I found it to be the most peaceful thing in my heart as far as serving and and, and serving with uh, no expectations, nothing in return. And uh, as far as getting involved, it's just as simple as signing up on the website or finding somebody that's already affiliated with OBR and trying to talk to them and finding how to get connected. And there's so many needs here. I mean, it's yeah, I, I am a great good ground man and I'm able to take care of a lot of things, but. The reality, too, we couldn't do it without the other volunteers taking care of everything that, that goes along with it, washing the dishes, getting the garbage cleaned up, uh, prepping the, for the next day, you know, packaging, the wrapping. It's just a, uh, I just think it's, uh, if you've got any willingness at all, I think it's very, you'll be very blessed in the long run. So I've been ending each of the interviews with an on-the-ground personal story, which just reminded them that they were doing the right thing, that, that they think about, that touches their heart, that keeps them going. Do you have one like that to share? As far as uh, probably the most emotional story that I can share that I've experienced is when I was in Moore, Oklahoma, the, uh, we was feeding out there. Of course, it was a tornado uh, there. We was right in the heart of where all that was happening. We were real close to the school system. And we had kids coming up that was feeding that uh, basically they was telling us how their school got blown away, their their friends got killed, their teachers got killed, and how their teachers provided protection for them, the students, in all that. And then, you know, that's devastating enough within itself, but after they sat down talking, it's like, and we ain't got no car or no home to go to. You know, their car and home got to go. So that was probably the most devastating. I, I worked for 10 days on the ground, left and went home, and, and I was totally exhausted. It felt like I couldn't do, produce enough. And when I got home, I felt like, a, because I'm so blessed at home, that I, uh, I felt guilty that I wasn't able to do enough. That's uh, because the need's so desperate. Thank you so much for sharing your story today, Duke, and okay. all the best. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. Right. Thank you all. Well, family, thanks for stopping by. I'm sure you learned as much here as I did. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review, and until next time, take care of each other and keep on queuing. Thanks for listening to the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. Head on over to smokinghotconfessions.com for recipes, tips, and Ben's own confessions.